Tonight, the most trusted source for top-to-bottom coverage of everyone's favorite mid-90s animated program, <gasps> Gargoyles! Hey! <laughs> I am your host, Daniel Williams. I am your other host, Liz Zirkel. Liz, you know, I thought that today we could talk about time travel. How do you feel about time travel? Not a Gargoyles episode without some fucking time travel, am I right? Yeah, they really dig the time travel these days. And I don't know if it's their strong suit. No, it's really not. (laughs) But they keep doing it. They keep trying. Good for them, you know. Never quit, even when you are failing all the time. Hey, today we're covering Gargoyles Season 2, Episode 29, Mia. I mean, M-I-A. Yes, M-I-A. This episode aired December 18th. 1995. It was directed by, according to Wikipedia, Katsuro Tarada. And that threw me for a loop. I was like, did we get a new director? This director has a very similar name to someone we know very well, Katsuo Tarada. Uh, it's the same guy. Whoever put that on Wikipedia, well, they done goofed. Now, it was written by a man named Robert Cohen, and this is his only gargoyles credit. Huh. That's rare that somebody just does one. We've we've had one or two before. Mm-hmm. Now, Robert is a TV guy. He is known for working on the Ben Stiller show. Oh. Yeah. He wrote on The Wonder Years and The Simpsons, Big Bang Theory. Like, this guy... Oh, wow. He's done a lot. And like through like a large time frame. Yeah. he's And he still works. He's still working in the industry. So this is his only episode of Gargoyles, which is weird. But he's done like single episode stints on other animated programs in the 90s as well. So Gotcha. I wonder if they were like, hey, we know you're never coming back, so we're going to give you a shitty time travel story. I'm curious if writers have any say over what episodes they get to do, or if they're just like, oh, Robert, we want to tag you for this. Liz, before we get started, I just want to address the listeners real fast. Listeners, listen, if you don't leave Defenders of the Night five-star ratings and reviews, I hate to say it, but Liz has vowed to quit the show. Oh, no. I... No, I misread that. She vows to quit drinking on the show. Um. I, uh, hold on. Liz has vowed to quit spilling wine while recording the show. <laughs> Listeners, you don't want that. It's where most of our comedy comes from. <laughs> I don't want to throw out, like, threats. I don't want to use harsh language, but um, we need those ratings and reviews. Anyway, <laughs> Liz, we're starting this episode off. We get a skyline shot of a city, and I don't know if you saw a very large bin. It was... Huge. He was quite big, in fact. Big old Ben. So this episode is obviously taking place in in London. Liz, <laughs> what if I just did the entire episode in my spot-on British accent? Please, please. It's very good. I bet our listeners would love that. Oh, my God. We're in London today. London? London? Am I getting it? Already 100% on point. Yeah. And I, as a man running from some bat-wielding goons. <laughs> I, I do have to say that the accents that are used in this episode had me Googling the entire time. Some of them aren't much better than what I just did. No, yeah, it's accurate. The A bunch of uh, hooligans that look like they belong at a punk show. Yeah, ruffians, this guy calls them. I don't know a whole lot about the punk scene in the 90s, but I would assume that not all punks were uh, <laughs> trying to attack people on the street. <laughs> no, they all were. Every single one of them. Mm, 
interesting. Especially the ones that look like they came out of the 70s and 80s punk scene, for sure. Yeah. Liz, <laughs> these young toughs, they're ready to rumble and tumble. You know what I mean? This. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. These aren't punks. These are dudes from the S&M scene. <laughs> This soon-to-be victim makes his way into a magic shop run by a couple of weirdos in animal masks. And, you know, this is how I know we're talking S&M today. Everybody's got their kink. Some people, it's bondage and leather. Other people, it's weird animal masks. And just live your life, right? Whatever makes you happy, as long as you're not hurting others. Right. Well, this guy, I mean, he's trying not to get hurt. He's running away, this unnamed victim. He's like, hey, masked goofballs, aren't you guys going to do anything? Help me. And they're like... Nah, we don't really care about what goes on outside the shop. Why would they, though? Why would they? You want them to throw down with these toughs? Just call the cops. Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, I guess it's not like he has a cell phone, so he can't just call the cop on his own. But He might have a cell phone. It's 1995. That's true. Those big old block ones. It's got 15 minutes of talk time available on those big ass batteries. (laughs) But that 15 minutes lasted you like a month. (laughs) Yeah. So we move from this guy almost getting his ass beat to... The River uh, Thames, I believe it's called. That's what the Londoners call it. Oh, it's the Thames! <laughs> Every time it starts out with oi. Oi, of course. Because that's how they talk. Of co- Everybody, yeah. So our pal Galeos show up. They're ready to solve a mystery or thwart a plot or something, you know? They've got experience under their belt at this point. So it's like, they show up, okay, what are we doing here? Let's get to work and move on. There's no wonder and excitement anymore, you know? Well, except for Dreamboat, who's really excited to be in London because she's like, ah, oh, great. I've always wanted to go here. Like, I want a little bit of time to sightsee. Goliath has no fucking chill. It's like, no, that is not why we're here. You know, we are here to do a mission, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, just chill for a second. Let her have a little bit of fun if she has to be dragged around the entire world in the same pair of clothes. And never gets to eat or sleep. You and I both know that Goliath doesn't know how to have fun. No, he doesn't. I mean, I think that he's over it, you know? He's over the globetrotting thing. So he just wants to get there, get the job done, and maybe the next leap will be the leap home. Yeah, I can't really tell if he's over it or not, because he's the one who's like, I understand now that this is my destiny. He's sick of it, but also more, I guess, more determined to do it. Like, I don't know. He's... He's being weird. He's definitely a dude that is easily resigned to fate. So he's like, oh, I got to go city to city worldwide and solve crimes. Okay, yes, let's do it. But let's not dilly dally. I want to go home. Yeah, that makes sense. And same. I'm over the globetrotting thing, too. I want to go back to New York. Me, too. So they make their way up the hill away from the river and they spot a World War II monument of a plane with two gargoyles standing on either side. There is a bird man and Goliath Hubba Yeah, it's weird. And Angela's like, why are you up there? And he's like, <laughs> so Dreamboat goes and reads the plaque out loud. Oh, well, yeah, of course. She has to let them know what it is, I guess. They're literate. <laughs> but yeah, a cabbie shows up and just starts talking to Dreamboat out of nowhere. Yeah, that is, in my opinion, the quickest way to run someone off. Some stranger just starts talking to me. I'm like, I suddenly need to walk in the opposite direction. (laughs) But Dreamboat engages, so what's this guy got to say? Did gargoyles fight in the war? Oh, they tell stories about gremlins and the like. You fancy this stuff? Let's just say the legends intrigue me. There's a shop in Soho might interest you. The owners know all about magic creatures. 
even dress up like him. Can you take me to the shop? And then he offers her a ride, and I swear to God, Liz, this is how a porn starts. Or how I imagine a porn might start. Shut up. <laughs> I'm guessing. Now I want to know how many uh, cab-related porns you've seen. Jeez. Zero. <laughs> I invented the genre right now. That's what happened. Oh, you know what? I'm not on trial here. <laughs> Move on. <sighs> so Dreamboat goes with the man who is taking her to a magic store. The magic store we saw before. <laughs> Did you notice that <laughs> Dreamboat suddenly is like, Yes, I would like to go to that place, please. Like she starts like yelling, and he's like, "Calm down, girl. Like, <laughs> shut up." <laughs> and he's like, "That's it's fine. Uh, we can do this at normal volume." And I assume it's for the benefit of Goliath and Angela to hear what she's doing, but also I feel like they have better hearing than that. Like she doesn't need to suddenly start screaming. <laughs> yeah, like they all get to the place later, and Goliath just turns to her, and he's like, "Hey, what was that back there at the monument? Why are you shouting?" <laughs> Be a little more conspicuous. <laughs> like, oh, a little suspicious, Dreamboat. I swear to God, you were the worst detective. <laughs> so Goliath and Angela take off after them. I feel like they're just like flying down the middle of the road. They're not trying to hide either. Like they're all just like, we're just out in the open, whatever. Yeah, they're like five feet off the ground. <laughs> They might as well just jog behind this taxi. The amount of people that could have just glanced out their window and been like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is that? Yeah. So we get to this magic shop, right? Yeah. And Dreamboat is immediately accosted by the very same rapscallions we saw earlier. Did they just fucking hang around outside the shop picking on Magic the Gathering enthusiasts? I guess so. And they know that the owners aren't going to do anything about it. So they're like, easy targets, yo. Yeah. Well, in typical Gargoyles fashion, they show up just in time. And then they beat up these humans and we can just move along. It's a fight that we didn't need to see. And I don't know. Also, she's a fucking detective. Like, I feel like she could have defended herself. Yeah, she probably could have taken care of this situation by herself. But whatever, you know? Yeah. Anyway, the owners come out. Yeah, Liz, they're not people in masks. Duh. They're gargoyles. <laughs> oh. I'm curious why these gargoyles are like almost more like Dr. Snape animal creature things that he made. Like, they don't look gargoyly to me. They look Wow, so gargoyles can only look one way to you? Is that what you're saying? Is there a purity test they need to take for you, Liz? I don't... Mm. I don't... Mm -hmm. I guess I was just more confused by the unicorn one. Because <laughs> that's not a thing. Like Yeah, like, do unicorns exist in this world? Well, here's the thing, Liz. That's probably just a horse lady. <laughs> Who just put a horn on her head? <laughs> it's metal. It's like a tiara. She's probably just a horse. Maybe. We don't see what's under that tiara. That's true. Okay. <laughs> So the shop owners come out and just confuse the fuck out of more or less everyone involved at this point. But especially Goliath. <laughs> You've come back. Gargoyles. Real gargoyles. We thought you died with Griff. Is he here? Is he with you? Griff? You survived and he didn't, is that it? The only reason we forgave you was because we thought you died with him. I fear you have mistaken me for another, my friend. The mistake is yours, Goliath. For believing you can return here without paying the consequences. I do not know what you are talking about. I have never been here, and I do not know you. And I guess Robert Cohen isn't good at naming characters because the unicorn lady is Yuna, and the lion guy is Leo. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably the statue Birdman guy we saw earlier is Griff. Yep. As in, he's a griffin. 
solid. Which is funny because uh, I was explaining their names to Jeremy and he's like, so he's a Gryffindor? Like, no, you idiot. He's a Griffin. He's like, oh, that's what I meant. <laughs> wow. And then you yelled at him and then he went to brood. <laughs> you know him. Yeah, I do. Uh, Dreamboat suggests that we all take this petty bullshit squabbling inside because you're all mythical creatures. It's like nine o'clock at night. There's people across the street. Let's be cool. It's only like a giant city where yeah. people are up all the time. It's London. <laughs> all right. It's not Prague. So, yeah, it's not Prague where there's not a soul. <laughs> yeah. So they go inside and they say that they know Goliath from the Battle of Britain in 1940, which is what the statue we saw earlier was from. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's not possible. I was still asleep in stone at that point. Yeah. So just shut up. <laughs> and then they just, <laughs> why did they remove their robes? <laughs> Because they're being aggressive. They aggressively remove their robes. I'm just so angry. I need to take my clothes off. Well, you know, sometimes <laughs> you get heated. Uh, so I guess that's what it was. Yeah, that's true. That's true. What are they wearing? Jesus Christ, just get some jeans and a sweater or some shit. Why is every gargoyle dressed in bad cosplay, Liz? <laughs> Leo's wearing like metal pauldrons and a doofy blue tunic. And Yuna's got some kind of Barbie dream princess gown. Yeah. What the hell are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and listen, we also see a reverse shot of Yuna later on, and she's got, through the dress, her tail pokes through. Wear pants. Just wear pants. With a tail hole, I guess. <laughs> so bizarre. Yeah, the clothing choices are odd. I bet it's just so uh, humans watching the show could go to conventions and bad cosplay. <laughs> I guess. Anyway, Liz, I Leo starts tussling with Goliath, and... You can tell Goliath's heart just isn't into it. He doesn't want to wrestle. He's really confused. He's so confused. No fucking idea who these people are. And he's just like, yeah. I'm sorry, you're wrong. And they're like, no, we're not. <laughs> Nuh-uh. Yeah. Dreamboat, she's pleading with Yuna. She's like, hey, stop this. This is crazy. So Yuna does with a magic spell that purple zaps them all to an ad break. Thanks for listening. Help others find our show by rating and reviewing on iTunes. Check out CalamityCast.com for even more content. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get in touch and let us know how we're doing. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the lights on, consider becoming a regular CalamityCast contributor on Patreon. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can do so at PayPal.me slash CalamityCast. We appreciate your support and your donations truly make a difference. <laughs> he was just making that noise the entire time we were at break. <laughs> yep. You know me. I'm always zod. <laughs> so, Liz, are most gargoyles just dickheads? I feel like every time we meet a new tribe or clan or whatever the fuck, yeah, they're kind of jerks. And, like, to be fair, I'm sure they've been treated really badly by humans for a long-ass time. So, you know, they took kind of the Demona approach to humans not trying to kill them but let's have nothing to do with them whereas goliath is like no let's befriend them all and save them constantly but leo attacks goliath yeah I, like just sit down and have a conversation you know right i mean 
Goliath and company genuinely have no idea what these two are talking about. So, Which is obvious, yeah. It's so clear that Goliath is not lying because, for one, he's not that good. But two, he's so genuinely confused. Right. It's not like he's like, wink, wink, I don't know who these people are. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Who are you? Who's this Griff person? What do you mean I was here? And what do you mean I left him to die? Like, what? I would never. Yeah. Well, Yuna and Leo, they've kidnapped the rest of the pals. Goliath is kind of dumbstruck, as we said. And we get no conversation about what's happening. We just get anger. We get yelling. These two are just being mean to Goliath. They're like, ah, you'll never find your friends. <laughs> but Right. And I like how it's like, oh, we hid your friends from you. So you know how it feels to lose someone you care for. Like we lost Griff because of you. <laughs> what? What petty bullshit is this? It's been, what, 50 years? <laughs> yeah. We're in the 90s, 55 years. Maybe get over it a little bit. Well, I guess they don't have gargoyle therapy. So that's true. They don't have any way to work through their issues. No <laughs> way. They stayed angry for half a century. <laughs> Well, Goliath is like, well, clearly we're not going to have, you know, a good conversation about this. So the only thing to do is the thing that I crossed my heart, swore to die, never do, is use the Phoenix plate. So he does. He's like, peace the fuck out, y'all. So we travel back to London, 1940, foggy London town. (laughs) Because Goliath didn't, I guess, specify where he'd like to pop into the past, he is just in the air, floating right in the sky. You'd think that if you didn't specify, you would show up where you started. Yeah. Like in the same geographical location, but whatever. Luckily, you know, he's got wings. He's He doesn't fall to his death, but he's right in the path of an oncoming plane. And wait, this is the commercial break? Okay. Nah, I'm not doing it. We already did ours, so fuck this episode. Okay. <laughs> So Goliath almost gets eaten by the propellers of the plane, but he's saved by Griff. Well, duh. This is their meet cute. Yeah. <laughs> and the plane just continues on its path. He's like, oh, I was weird. Moving on. And Griff and Goliath make their introductions. Yeah. Liz, they shake hands. Goliath immediately uses the Phoenix plate again, transporting them back to 1995. And the episode ends. Hooray. <laughs> No? No. Oh, don't you think that's what should have happened then? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> but Griff wants to e- introduce Goliath to all of his buddies. Fine. So we do that. Uh, I do have to say, though, I really like Griff's voice. I didn't like his personality. He was very much like, I feel like a standard kind of 1940s military man. Like I feel like I've seen this character before in other things. His ceaseless positivity really just rubbed me the wrong way. Of course it did. <laughs> Listen, we're in the middle of fucking World War II. Quit smiling, asshole. But he is just so cheery to be uh, protecting his people and the actual humans and his town, London. London. <laughs> chip, chip, cheerio. Oh, it's London. <laughs> Oi, mate. Let's go meet my friends in the magic shop. We are losing <laughs> listeners every second we do that. <laughs> so we go to the magic shop <laughs> and we meet Una and Leo again. Yeah, Griff introduces Goliath by saying this. This is Goliath. He's come from far away to help. And I mean, Scotland's not that far away, but you know what? Sure. I do like how just by looking at Goliath, he knew he was Scottish. <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> like, not only that, it's like... Could he tell from his accent? Right. His whole accent that he has. Yeah. That's actually really curious. I actually want to talk about that for a second. Because as far as Goliath knows, his people died a thousand years ago. Yeah. So how would Griff be like, oh, you're clearly of the Scottish stock? I don't know, Liz. Hmm. That's a really good question. I hadn't even considered that. You know, not much of this episode makes sense. And this is continuing on that fine tradition. <laughs> we can probably assume <laughs> that the writer didn't think about that either. <laughs> well, I mean, he only stuck around for the one episode. He didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as the check cleared, he was like, all right, I'm out. They go downstairs for tea. And Goliath doesn't even pretend to know what the fuck they're talking about. Ari, World War II. Like, he hasn't read extensively about it. Like, he doesn't try to play it cool. Yeah. It's weird. Like, he spends so much of his free time in the library. Does he not know what's going on at all? Right. It seems like the kind of dude that would have read all about all the horrible shit that happened in the world between when he went to sleep and when he woke up. Or at the very least, I don't know, he seems like he would be the type that would be into, like, historical war books. Yeah. But instead he's like, oh, has it been tough? World War II. You said it's been hard on everyone. Huh, weird. Okay. Ah, wouldn't have expected that. World War, you say. And that's the second one. Huh. You're like, yeah, you know, the Nazis trying to kill everybody. (laughs) Fucking A. But no, he did not see that coming. (laughs) Well, Una mentions something about sugar rationing. And hey, you know, sorry we couldn't offer you any sugar. It's a bummer. And Griff climbs atop his very, very tall soapbox after smashing his teacup on the floor. What the fuck, dude? And he starts going on about Nazis and shit. And he's totally right. Nazis are really lame, okay? Yeah. But Griff, maybe bring it down to an eight. (laughs) Like, you could just imagine that this is the same speech that Leo and Una have to hear every night he comes back from fighting. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, oh, man, they tell you these Nazis and sugar rationing and what? Ah! I wonder how many teacups they've gone through. And they're like, dude, the war is going on. We don't have the resources. Just buy more teacups. Okay, stop it. Can you please like smash a napkin instead? Yeah, just tear up a napkin. (laughs) You know what? Don't even tear it up. Just crumple it up. Okay, man? Because we're going to reuse that. Yeah, and then we'll wash it later and press it. It'll be fine. (laughs) Jesus. Griff, running out of teacups left and right. You're just going to get tea in hand. You're just going to... Okay, all right. (laughs) So Leo agrees, yes, Nazis are indeed bad, but like, what is a flying lion man like myself supposed to do about all that? I mean, after all, the Nazis are a human problem and would never dare to capture, enslave, and subjugate gargoyles. I mean, (laughs) they're Nazis. They're not monsters. Besides, who's going to run the magic shop in the middle of the war? Yes, because that's what everyone's concern is right now, is we must get our magic. There's not enough flour to make bread, but boy, I'm sure glad we can go to the bookstore. (laughs) Fuck off, Leo. (laughs) You can tell Griff is a little disappointed in his friends. Yeah, I would be too. I assume that the three of them have been together, like a little clan or whatever, for a long time. I'm curious what made him care more about humans and the war and all that and them not give a fuck. Yeah, this thing that Goliath says doesn't seem like a new idea. Goliath says human problems don't tend to stay just human problems, you know what I mean? Yeah, which is very a very smart way for him to put that. Yeah. It's kind of like the idea that, like, before America entered the war, it's like, uh, this isn't going to stay a Europe problem for long, and uh, maybe we should help. Exactly, yeah. And then he's like, so who's going to join me? And Goliath is like, 
Uh, I guess I will. <laughs> Fuck Nazis, man. Yeah, he's like, this seems like something I would do. I will come join you. Yeah, and they go off to punch some Hitlers right in their goddamn faces, like Captain's America. <laughs> Except they're Captain London. Yeah, and Admiral Scotland. He is an admiral. I don't, I don't know. He was in the <laughs> navy. So they <laughs> they take flight. He is traveling by a boat right now. That yeah, he's okay. <laughs> They go and they fight Nazis. Your pretty standard aerial dogfight stuff. Gargoyles cause the Nazi planes to crash into the Thames. Griff rescues a British pilot. The typical World War II aerial fights. Yeah. And Goliath is desperate to keep an eye on Griff. But as much as he tries, these goddamn Nazis keep shooting bullets at him. And I guess, you know, they're not lasers, so that's <laughs> something, right? Baby steps for Goliath. Yeah, although the lasers don't seem to pierce his flesh, whereas the bullets... Blew a hole into one of his wings, and this Nazi is pleased with himself. And we get a creepy Nazi grin to a break. That's what a Nazi grin sounds like. I hate it. Boo! Boo, Nazis. (laughs) Who wouldn't want the hunky hero and the fantastic leading lady to be brought to life? With Love and Lust, a smutcast, indulge in a radio drama filled to the brim with romance, laughs, and all those wonderfully awkward moments that come with a new relationship. And don't forget those delicious sexy parts that make romance novels oh so fun to enjoy. Season one of Love and Lust is available now at calamitycast.com or anywhere that you can find podcasts. And we are back and we're still booing the Nazis. Boo, Nazis. You're not cool. You're bad guys. Boo. Boo, Nazi, no. (laughs) (laughs) So is this one of those time travel things? Like, I don't know. Like, I can never wrap my brain around this. It's like, it happened, but like, he doesn't know it happened until he makes it happen in 1995. What is the question? It's just, I don't understand how this works. I don't know. It's just every time it's one of those things that's like, future me has no idea what happens until someone from the past tells me. Like, so like the whole deluxe knowing he has to go back because he had sent himself a note from the past kind of thing. Like, it breaks my brain and I don't even know how to ask like what I want. It's just, I don't, how does time travel, I guess? (laughs) It's like, why does this work? You mean how come he doesn't remember it happening? Because it doesn't happen actually until... He makes it happen in 1995, but yet they know it happened. Like, I don't know. That whole just like weird time loop thing just never actually makes sense to me. That's why the better time travel stories are basically like, you can't affect the past. Right. (sighs) Anyway, so we're back in the skies of foggy London. Yeah. Goliath is trying to fly and outmaneuver the plane. But he's not doing so great. <laughs> no, it looks like his goose is cooked, Liz. Griff drops off the pilot that he had saved and who immediately fainted because, oh my God, Birdman. And he goes back into the flies to rescue. He said back into the flies. <laughs> I'm going to keep it. <laughs> Liz, we think he's going to rescue Goliath, but no, it's actually the other British pilot whose name is... We heard it earlier... I'm going to say Cherith, because I don't remember. He shoots down that Nazi. Good. Fuck Nazis. Fuck them to death. And Griff shows up in time to escort Goliath back home to tend to his wounded wing. And Cherith takes off to fucking kill more Nazis. Yeah. And Cherith is very proud of himself and that he saved his new gargoyle buddy. Yeah. You know, another way that this time travel story could work a little bit better is if Cherith dies 
Because then he doesn't get to say anything about seeing gargoyles. That's true. Sorry, Cherith, you're a hero, but you gotta die. All right. (laughs) That's why there's a statue, because I think he's the one that's in the plane in the statue. I would assume so. Anyway. Yeah, and we cut down to the ground to see two goober soldiers manning an anti-aircraft gun. And look up in the sky. They spot a weird aerial thing. Some kind of who's what's it? We better fucking shoot it. I don't know what it is. Let's shoot it. Doesn't quite look like a plane. It's not making sounds like a plane. Maybe it's a Nazi in a hang glider. Better shoot it down with our anti-aircraft gun. Yeah, that was like a really bad plan. Like, how were they certain it wasn't someone on the British side? The fact that they just automatically assumed, oh, must be a Nazi. Yeah, when there are British planes up in the sky. Be careful, guys. I feel like they're being irresponsible with this anti-aircraft gun. Yeah, very much so. And uh, Griff wasn't all too pleased about it. No, they're like, hey, we're on your side, buddy. Yeah. Well, they take refuge in a bombed out church. And these guys can't catch a fucking break, Liz. You know, they dodge the anti-aircraft artillery, but this church starts collapsing on him. Yeah, and then Goliath has to shove him out of the way from being crushed to death. And they land in the street. That's not safe, Liz, because they're almost mowed down by a military truck. Yep. And Goliath has to save Griff yet again. And Goliath is just getting really frustrated now. He's like, is this dude not supposed to live? Like, what the fuck is happening, fate? Yeah, perhaps the fates are conspiring against you, Goliath. Maybe this is supposed to happen. Griff is doomed to not make it home tonight. Unless... He finally does the thing that you suggested 20 minutes ago. He whips out the old phoenix plate and we cut back to the magic shop. In 1995. (laughs) Okay, this is what I've been waiting for. Remember when Una and Leo were like, you're never going to find your friends, Goliath. (laughs) We're really evil for some reason. Liz, they're back there. (laughs) They're in the basement of the shop. (laughs) They're in the same building. And the thing that really cracks me up about this entire scene is Dreamboat fucking gets released on her own. Goliath didn't have to do any of the shit he just did. Okay, well, you're jumping the gun here, Liz. All right? Okay. So they're in the basement of this shop. Goliath never would have figured it out, you know, unless Dreamboat said, hey, Goliath, because she wasn't even gagged. And Una, is Una or Una? I keep going back and forth. Una makes more sense. I think I said Una before, but Una makes way more sense because unicorn. Yeah, I've said both. Yuna and Leo are going on about how Goliath left them in a puff of smoke and he's never coming back for you and yeah, he's a coward and Dreamboat immediately knows what's up. Yeah. It's the Phoenix Plate, obviously. And these fucking gargoyles don't know about the Phoenix Plate, so they don't believe her. Now check this out. Nothing can change what happened to Griff. Goliath talked him into fighting the Nazis. We'd all but convinced him to stay safe with us. Liz, in this scene, it took Leo nine seconds to walk down the stairs. I counted. <laughs> Silently trudging down the stairs to free Dreamboat. And I feel like I slipped into a coma while all this was happening. Yeah, like I guess they're trying to be dramatic or something, <laughs> but it was ridiculous. Also, fuck Una for saying that Goliath talked Griff into going. Griff was always going to go, and Goliath said, okay, I guess I'll go with you. He was out there early, like, Half an hour before that. It's what he does. He did that. It sounded like nightly. Like that is what he did. He patrolled the skies to help the British. Fuck you, Una. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense because when Griff was like, hey, you're going to go out there with me? Goliath was like, sure. 
that's where they came from. That's where he met Goliath. They were already out there. And Goliath didn't convince. He agreed. Like, she's just lying right now. Yeah. And one thing I forgot to mention before, so when they were in 1940, is Una grabbed Goliath and was like, he's very dear to me. Uh, I mean us. I mean us. He's very dear to us. I'm like, all right. Girls in love with Griff is what the situation here is. You know what? They're a thruple, and that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. But it seems like she's more into Griff than she is into Leo, and I think that's part she of She doesn't have to worry about Leo because he's a coward, too. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. So Yuna and Leo argue about protecting their home during the bombing and whatever, you know, and... To that, I have to say, how are you protecting your home from bombs by staying in said home? How is that helping? What are you doing to protect it? You want to protect your shit from Nazis? Go fucking punch a Nazi in the face. That's helping. What are you doing? What are you talking about? How is this an argument? I don't know. Maybe in their head by being there, they prevent any like looting or like shit like that from happening. But yeah, no, being home is not going to protect it from a fucking bomb. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. I hope that Robert Cohen was fired from Gargoyles because of this dumbass script. Okay. Liz. Leo gets smacked in the face with the realization that they've been blaming the wrong gargoyle after all these years. Because the fact of the matter is, Griff didn't need convincing, like you were saying. He was already doing it. He was going to go out regardless of what Goliath said. He just stopped in for tea. He took a break. Yep, it was lunch break. And B, they should have been out there having Griff's back. Yep. I'm glad it took Leo 55 years. Right. Better late than never. (laughs) And there's weeping, and there's crying, and they... I guess our forgiving Goliath here, even though he's not there to accept their apology, but, you know, he he would understand. Yeah. And we cut to outside the magic shop, Liz. Yeah. And this is proof that they finally did what I said they should have done. They pop in here outside the shop. And I was thinking Goliath could have used the Phoenix plate to just take Griff home in 1940. You can travel through time and space, but it can just be one or the other. Like, he could have just popped over to the magic shop, but this is fine. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah. They didn't have to fly across London. (laughs) Got a magic plate in his hand. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) So, at this point, you know, it's 1995. And, you know, Griff asks, like, when are we kind of thing? And he's like, it's 1995. Welcome to the future. Well, he says we're in the 1990s is what he says. He doesn't specify the year, which I thought was weird. Yeah. And... My favorite thing is when, like, a punk-looking kid just walks by playing a Game Boy. Yeah, are there non-punks in London in 1995? I feel like you would know more about the punk scene than I would, so you tell me. 100% of the population of London in 1995 were punks. Even the Queen. (laughs) Princess Diana, punk as fuck. I was about to say punk as fuck. (sighs) Or at least all the 15 to 30-year-olds are punk, I guess. Listen, you can be punk after 30. No, I know. We just haven't seen any older people. We've seen, like, teenagers and, like, young 20s. You don't know how old these people are. The punks are a youthful bunch because they have not a care in the world. (laughs) Nihilism can really free you from, uh, you know, aging. I don't know. Anyway, Griff is really thrown by the punk and the Game Boy and the cars, which I thought was weird. Right, there were cars in 1940. They just look different now. Yeah, just a little different. That's still a car. He, like, stumbles backwards in the street. He's like, whoa, almost gets hit again. Cars. (laughs) What? Dude, you flew nightly with planes, which are much more impressive than cars. Yeah, planes are like sky cars. <laughs> Liz, they go back inside. You know, they meet up with the gang. Leo and Yuna, they're happy to see Griff. Everyone is happy. <laughs> Did you hear this bit? 
So Yuna says, it's been so long, Griff. Oh, so long. And and Griff replies, well, how long exactly? What the fuck are you talking about, dude? Do some simple math. Didn't we just have this conversation with him? Yeah. You knew when you left. And Goliath just told you at least the decade where you are. Again, I don't know why he didn't specify the year. But it's <laughs> been about 50 years, bud. Yeah. But he talks about how distinguished Leo looks now. Because I guess he's grade some. Yeah, I didn't even notice. But yeah, they didn't really look any older to me i'm sure they had some character differences but yeah i guess we're kind of done this is this is the happy ending yeah griff is reunited with his buddies even though he didn't know that's what was happening he thought he was just going back home which i guess is kind of funny and our palgoyles they take off they go over to the river thames and as they head on down that watery road goliath tries to explain time travel to dreamboat but she doesn't get it, and I don't think he's doing a very good job. So, Well, I'm glad that both Dreamboat and Angela don't get it, because I sure as fuck don't either. We get one more scene, Liz. Because there's always one more. And we're back to those same goddamn thugs. And you know what? It turns out they're not just thugs. They're racist thugs. Cool. Yeah. Luckily, the London clan don't have time for that shit, you know, anymore. And they beat up the racists, and they save the guy that ran into the shop earlier. Same guy. The dude was just getting menaced this entire time. And nobody called the cops. Everyone just let it happen. Bunch of bitches. That's how we end this episode, by beating up racists, which, despite how I feel about the rest of the episode, is a fantastic way to end. Yeah, and I like how it's like, okay, now they're London's version, London's version of the Defenders of the Night. Every town needs a, a nightly defender. Where are gargoyles? I want some gargoyles here in St. Louis. That's it. That's the end of the episode. Yep. Fuck racism. We'll be right back. After the accidental death of their close buddy Eugene, a group of six friends gathers in a backyard fallout bunker for one last D&D game to mourn his loss and celebrate his life. All is going as well as it can until an earth-shaking event pulls the group into a millennia-long war between two interdimensional empires. Follow the trials and tribulations of being in over your head when it comes to interdimensional war, interspecies relations, and the complete destruction of all universes in A Beginner's Guide to Interplanetary Destruction, an award-nominated uh, narrative podcast from the Calamity Cast Network. Check it out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and CalamityCast.com. Well, Liz, we're back. Yeah. And, um... I don't know, man. This episode had a lot of potential, but I don't think it hit the mark. How do you feel? Kind of disappointed after how much we loved last week. Yeah. This one was not nearly horny enough is what it is. There was nothing horny about this episode. Except for Yuna. Yeah, but she wasn't horny enough. It's a joke, you see, because unicorns have horns. Anyway. You know... I think that there were some really good concepts in here. It just wasn't executed well. Yeah. Like, I like the idea of doing a story during World War II. I wish there was a way we could have done it without using the Phoenix Plate, because that thing is a messy bitch. I feel like anytime the Phoenix Plate is part of the episode, it is not a favorite of mine. Yeah, does the Phoenix Plate have some sort of anti-paradox tech built into it? Like, what the fuck? How does it avoid destroying the multiverse with its time paradoxes? For real, like, the fact that Griff is alive now changes everything. I don't know that it does. That's the one thing where I think it's fine, because if he was going to die in 1940, that means the next 55 years, Griff didn't exist. So that's okay. 
I guess what it is, it's a forking timeline. So now there's a version of, of the timeline where Goliath didn't go back in time. But this version is a split from the original timeline where now he does. You know, we're talking string theory. Right, which is kind of like what they do in, in the Marvel Universe, right? Like at the end? Yeah, like in Endgame, right. So I guess it's kind of like that, and we just jump to a different timeline? Yeah, now we're in a new timeline. Hmm. Cool, I guess that's fine. We'll go with that, because otherwise my brain will just break and not like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, I always want people to kill the Nazis and punch them in the face and all that shit. So that was a cool change of pace, I guess. And the fact that it was took place in London when London was so intense during that time period. And the one thing about London, uh, when the bombing started, we know it's nighttime and all the lights turned off. And then there were kids like running to their homes. Why the fuck were those kids home already? Like, I thought they had like restrictions. <laughs> during this time frame. Like, kids want to just be playing in the street at night. Go home, kids. It's war. Right. <laughs> like, what are you doing? That was ridiculous, but whatever. Liz, I don't know about you, but frankly, I'm getting tired of seeing gargoyles in weird clothes, man. Get some fucking yoga pants and be done with it. <laughs> and I think that what's frustrating is we know they can from the episode when humans and gargoyles switch places. Yeah, we've seen gargoyles in suits. We know what they look like in jeans. And they look fucking hot. Like, when... When Dreamboat was a gargoyle and she had jeans on, she looked real good. Put a gargoyle in jeans. Yes. Does London just know about gargoyles? Because the London clan is not shy about just showing up in public and kicking people's asses. Well, they've been openly running a store claiming that they are eccentric and wear masks. So maybe they're pretending they're superheroes that are eccentric and wear masks. <laughs> With wings, sure. With wings and who can fly or glide. Maybe they can fly. We don't know if it works differently for, you know, unigoils and lion goils. It definitely seemed, I mean, again, this could have just been because they pick and choose the gliding and the flying all the time. But it did seem during one of the battles when Griff dropped off the British soldier and then was going up to try to help Goliath. He kind of just like launched from the ground and went straight into the sky. So I was like, can you fly? Well, he's a griffin. He's got wings with feathers, so... That's true. Maybe he can fly. Maybe it's only the Scottish clan that can't fly. Maybe. I don't know. We talked about this one fast. That's because it sucked. <laughs> I don't really have anything else to say about it either. I want to like it, but I don't like it. Where does this fall for you in terms of, like, is it one of your least favorites now, or...? No, it's not that bad. Yeah, I agree. And I think partially because I've seen this bullshit time travel stuff before, so I'm like, well, I've seen worse versions of this, and this wasn't a good version, but it wasn't the worst version, so... I feel like it definitely handled time travel better than some of the other episodes, like the Avalon bullshit one. That is peak. <laughs> that is the worst. I think we just need our episodes of Gargoyles to want to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't be shy about it, Gargoyles. Just, just give it to us. Come on, man. And they also, I feel like the last two episodes or so, like we've barely had any Angela even. Yeah, that was weird. I think, yeah, you're right. Two in a row where she's been absent. Yeah. It's like, oh, you sit here. We'll be back. Or in this case, it was, we're forcing you to sit here because we kidnapped you and put you in the basement. Oh, no. We made you move all of eight steps. Walk down there. <laughs> He'll never find you below ground. So, like, I don't know. If we're going to be away from the Brogoyles, at least like to get to know Angela better. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Maybe next week, you know? Yeah, maybe. Whatever. I'm done. Liz, you ready to, to end this thing? Yep. Well, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Defenders of the Night. Thank you to Ian the Cat's Meow McGowan for composing. Oh, it should have been Meow Gowan. Ah. I'll do it again. No, it's 
check him out on Instagram and Twitter at easy underscore breezy underscore Mac and listen to more of his music at gooddeedmusic.bandcamp.com or sweetgumstl.bandcamp.com. If you want to talk gargoyles or what you think is under Yuna's tiara, because I'm not convinced it's a horn. I think she's just a horse. Use the hashtag gargoyles on Twitter, where we're at CalamityCast, Liz is at Zirkinator, and I'm at underscore DS Williams. On Instagram, we're at CalamityCastNetwork, Liz is at LZirkle, and I am at underscore DS Williams. Find us on Facebook at CalamityCast, email us at CalamityCastNetwork at gmail.com, and check out CalamityCast.com for more of our delicious pod goodness. Visit Patreon.com slash CalamityCast to support Defenders of the Night and all the other CalamityCast shows. Just crumple up a dollar and throw it at your computer screen, and it'll get to us. For a one-time contribution, you can always go to paypal.me slash calamitycast. You can also buy CalamityCast merch. Head over to the website, click on the shop link at the top of the page, and buy some Space America branded adhesive bandages. We're not allowed to call them band-aids. We'll be back next week with Season 2, Episode 30 of Gargoyles, and an episode of Defenders of the Night that quotes the age-old dead Kennedy's adage, Nazi punks, fuck off. Woo! This has been a Calamity Cast production. For more content, visit CalamityCast.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.